Actually, I, I'm wearing my batik here underneath, <laughs> but it's quite chilly, and I bought this jacket at Uniqlo uh, several years back in Korea. Uh, Jenny and I were meeting our mutual friend, Professor Daniel. Uh, we went fuller together, we're good friends, teaching in Korea, so we met. And uh, he wore this jacket from Uniqlo, and my wife loved it. She goes, wow, Daniel looks so good in that Uniqlo jacket, and well, he's tall, he actually studied ballet from New York, so I mean, so right after the meeting, Jenny insisted we go Uniqlo and buy the same jacket. So, you know, it's just one of those crazy things. She likes to do this, you know, pretty woman thing. Oh, wear this one, wear this one. Well, that's the one, Daniel. Well, why don't you wear that? And so we bought it, and on the way out, she said, but it does not look that good on you. Oh, it's not the jacket, you know. <laughs> it's like, gee, thanks, honey. <laughs> yeah, so it's not the jacket. Um, and I have guitar because I'm going to sing a song for you. And I'm going to actually set you free. For some of you who, who struggle with uh, the fact that you can't sing, <laughs> you're, you're tone deaf, you know what I mean? You're very creative with someone's song. <laughs> That's what tone deafness is, you know. You cannot just, you're so independent, you just get to do your own thing, right? So uh, I was born tone deaf. I cannot read music. I cannot hear the difference. So I just sing whatever the way I want to sing it. So all my life, uh, people say that, oh, that's not how you sing it. I'm like, why? Sounds like it. I said, no. <laughs> 
So I decided early on that, okay, well, if God made me a tone deaf, then I'm going to write my own songs. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Yeah, why do you have to sing someone else's songs, right? <laughs> Bible says, sing to me a new song. And so I said, Lord, okay, don't, they don't like the way I sing their song, then I'm going to write my own song. <laughs> and I'm going to sing it the way I want it. <laughs> amen to that, you know. And I wasn't a Christian. I went to the church. I was following the church. I was part of the church, the Jesus crowd. But Jesus turned around. And can you put up the words, uh, Luke 9, 23? Why don't we read that together, matter of fact? Uh, that's the text that I was going to work on, Luke 9, 23. Is it on? <laughs> Sorry. I should have warned you. Um, okay. All right, I'll just keep on talking then. Uh, <laughs> let me know when it gets on. Jesus, chapter 9 of Luke, uh, sends out 12 disciples. He said, just go. Don't carry money. Don't carry anything. Just carry the power. And they are casting out demons, healing the people, and like multitude followed. And Jesus became the rock star of the time. And so now literally tens of thousands of people following. They had 5,000 people, hungry men. And then afterwards, in a small meeting, Jesus says to disciples, who do you say that I am? And of course, they say all this nonsense. And of course, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, you are the Christ, the Son of living God. And Jesus says, well, that's it. Don't share that publicly. And then, 923, Jesus turns around. And looking at the multitude, Jesus says, why are you following me? Well, Jesus, because where you are, miracle happens, healing happens, bread start multiplying, of course we'll follow you. The typical prosperity gospel line. I'm so glad I'm ordained as a Southern Baptist preacher. April last year, Southern Baptist, 16 million Christians in America decided prosperity gospel, you cannot be saved. If you believe in prosperity gospel, you're going to die and go to hell. Because that prosperity gospel cannot save you. See, Jesus says, why are you following me? Well, Lord, it's awesome. Cool stuff happens when we are with you, Lord. And Jesus says, Hmm, let's read that together. Ready, go. Amen. He looked at the mess, the multitude. See, there are two kinds of people. There are people who follow Christ, the multitude. And there are people who decide to take up his or her cross. Wow. When that was first revealed to me, I'm like, wow. You mean all the church going, all the loving the Bible, memorizing one verse a day didn't mean anything? You know, I, I, was just, I was just loving the religious life. I would memorize one verse a day. Right? But I had nothing to do with Christ. The Christ demands that we take up our cross. 
See, when I was 15, I was born in Korea, raised in Korea till 12, came to America at 12, and 12, 13, 14, 15, three, four years went by, and my grandfather passed away in Korea, and my father couldn't go back to Korea because he was anti-government writer. He was a double PhD medical doctor. He became a chief editor of anti-government dictator park, and so we got kicked out of the country. And so he can't go back. And I saw my dad grieving, crying, and weeping. And as a little boy, tone deaf, <laughs> there wasn't a song that I could sing. So I decided to write my own song. So this is a non-Christian song. Don't get too blessed by this one. <laughs> Don't say, amen, that was awesome. No, just say, oh, Bob, come on. But a fob, uh, I was a fob, fresh out of Boeing 747. <laughs> As an authentic fob with limited English, but I wanted to express, God, how come you are so unfair? I, I was never atheist. I always believed there is God, right? Right? Psalm 14, only fool says in his heart, that there is no God. I'm, my, my name is Babo, which means stupid in Korean, but I'm not that stupid. <laughs> my name may be stupid, but I'm not that foolish to say that there is no God. There's, you know, I, I mean, I always believed there is God. But I didn't know Jesus was God. I didn't know his name was Jesus. So I'm crying out to God, God, why is life so unfair that I was a pretty light kid. I was actually the vice president of my entire elementary school in Yeongdeungpo, Korea, I come and only thing they call me is Jeb, Nip, Chink, Gook. Why is that, Lord? How come my identity changed, you know, one short flight, and I'm nobody, I can't speak their language, and, and I was pretty loved, pretty liked person. I became nobody. And so I, I, I got mad. And so I, I, I was sitting down one day and I just started singing. And uh, a lyric and the song came and I said, wow. <laughs> this is my confession as non-Christian. Sitting in this chair Searching for an answers in the air Oh my Lord no one's really cared Sitting in this chair Searching for an answers in the air Oh my Lord, no one's really cared Hey mom, how come worse around Birds are flying, yeah how come people live and die every day? How come people live and die like just like grandpa yesterday? Is it fair for men to die and just burn through the earth? Oh no. Living it 
kids and family, loving wife. Is it fair for man to die and just turn to the earth? Oh no, is it fair? Is it fair? Well, that was me. My theology was that, yeah, there is God, but he's just quite unfair God. God not to be trusted. Uh, you have to pretty much make it on your own. You have to do your own thing. Uh, I am the master of my life, and God comes when I need help. That was me. And then at age 18, I encountered Jesus in a very profound way. God started speaking to me. And I realized that I wasn't a Christian. I was a churchgoer. I was a crowd, the multitude who followed Jesus. But Jesus was not my Lord, not my master. And when I heard, uh, Jesus, when I met Jesus that way, I realized, wow, you know, my life changed. And I said it many times that at age 18, I, I really, it was kind of crazy experience how Jesus became so real. I said, Lord, if you are this real, I want to share this gospel. You know, I was 18, outside of the church parking lot, crying out to God. I stood there, yelled, yes, a thousand times. I said, yes, 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 yes. I will do whatever you tell me to do. I was only one option, obedience. And then I said, Lord, let me preach the gospel in 50 countries before I turned 50. I don't know why I said that at age 18. Because you, at age 18, think life is over after 50, you know, so. <laughs> it wasn't a spiritual thing. It was just like stupid thing, like, okay, I'm gonna die at 50, because you know, I've done everything I've done, wanted to do. So when I turned 50, I counted how many countries I visited in exactly 50 countries. It's amazing what God can even hear your prayer that it didn't make any sense. And then Lord started asking me to take up the cross. You know, sometimes it's like, because there are things that you want to do with your life, right? And all my life I said, Lord, I just really have, I have heart, passion for those surfers in Hawaii. I just want to serve them, Lord. What's wrong with that, right? 
And Lord says, no, no. You know, I, I, I got into business, and there's something in me. I love business, and I was import-export guy, and we had a company in Taiwan, and we had you know, factory in China, and we were exporting marble from Mexico, and we were producing our own OEM engine oil and was exporting to Korea. It was just fantastic run, and I said, wow, this is great. Maybe God called me to be a businessman. And I was serving a local Korean-American church in L.A., Koreatown, and the fight became so severe. I mean, I don't know about these Korean Christians, you know. The church fight became so, so intense, a deacon brought a gun into deacon's meeting. It's like, if you don't go with my plan, <laughs> I'll kill all of you. And at age 26, I thought it was oxymoron, you know. It's like, I love Christ, but I hate all the Christians that I meet. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like, I love Christ, but I hate church. It's like, I love the head of the church, but body, I could do it without. It's oxymoron itself. But at age 26, I got so fed up with church, I remember, and I was in doing this import-export business, and I said, Jenny, that's it. I'm quitting ministry. I'm going to become import-exporter and make a lot of money and serve the Lord with money. And she looked at me and said, well, then let's get divorced. Excuse me, what does that statement got to do with that? <laughs> said, well, I never married a businessman. I made a commitment to the Lord that I'll serve the Lord full time. I don't want to be a rich businessman's wife. Either you divorce me or be in ministry. So here I am. I'm a preacher by default. <laughs> Not my choice. I don't want to be divorced by my wife. But, you know, serving God full time, planting five churches, wow, that wasn't easy. Business is much easier. You know, serving God and, oh my goodness. Well, no, it's not that it didn't go well. I mean, my ministry just took off and we started with four people in our living room. Within 10 months, we grew to be 190-member church and we started repeating that. We planned church at UCLA, you know, UCLA, University of California with lots of Asians. And so <laughs> we planned our church at 1986, you know, 1991, 1996, you know, second church and it just blossomed. We started with 80 people and quickly became 300 and big part building and third church and fourth church. And, 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 and I begin to feel like, Lord, how come I'm so unhappy? This holy dissatisfaction. See, being a true disciple is being sensitive. See, I didn't understand that as a young man. I, said, I, was, come on, I was 29 when I planned my first church. And I'm so unhappy about my life when everybody says, oh, you should be happy. You know, you got all this. Thing. No, no, but, but I'm not happy. Why? Because I was constantly competing and comparing my cross with someone else's. You know what I mean? The whole generation of America, it went through the whole, when SNS, the, the internet, you know, Instagram, whatever, started Facebook. The whole formal fear of missing out, right? They're doing stupid things because they just fear of missing out. Right? 
And so the way that you get this crowd is like, hey, we're doing a church retreat. And your friends are going and all the fear of missing out, I'm going to go to their retreat or something. You know, and they advertise. The whole capitalistic, you know, understanding is to compete and compare so they buy stuff that you don't, really don't want. Right? To impress people you don't even like with money you don't have. <laughs> so, but now, the whole, new gen- the, the whole generation of 40-plus pastors are now writing about their generation. They're serving and they're shaking their head. At least we're FOMO people. But kids that they're serving around is FOBO people. I said, what is FOBO? Fear of better option. So did you know that now that even they said we're going to go retreat on Friday, they said, can I wait until, make a decision until Thursday night? Because I'm afraid that something better may come up. So they date each other, but they were never married. While even they're dating, thinking that maybe prettier chick will come by. Fear of better option. Wow. How do you serve God like that? made a decision, right? Remember when I was young, I used to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. You know that one? I have decided, sing along with me, to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. It meant something, right? I mean, it's a beautiful song, but theologically not fully complete. You should take up your cross and follow him. Without taking up the cross, it's just a walk. Nevertheless, at least we served the generation, made a commitment, they stuck with it. No turning back. But now the whole new generation is like, well, is there a better option for me? <laughs> well, I'm actually pursuing Jesus. Going to church, we're like, oh, is there any better church for me to hop? Did you know that out of the last 2,000 years, Christianity existed? In 1991, the Christians in America invented this term, church shopping. It started in 1991. Wow. I think Apostle Paul in heaven is like shaking his head. I can't believe you guys. You cannot shop church. It's not for sale. Church, you die for because it's the body of Christ. You don't decide. Now, of course, that was start in 91. So by 30 years later, it's like that's common language. Like, and actually they encourage that. Why don't you shop around and see which church you like? What the heck? <laughs> I get mad. Call me old timer, but like I get mad when young pastors talk like that. Trash talk. Like, what are you talking about, man? Church is not to be messed with. And so when I went to Prayer Mountain, because I got so, I had this holy dissatisfaction. Um, Things not going as I planned, because I'm constantly competing and comparing my ministry with someone else. And, you know, there's always someone who's bigger and better. and (laughs) It's just a crazy thing, you know. And I feel inferior when I meet someone who's better than me. And then when I meet someone who's less than me, I feel superior. This superior inferiority complex going up and down. You don't have shalom when you live in that world. And I was so unhappy. I remember going into prayer mountain. I said, Lord, I'm going to settle this issue. I'm going to go and start fasting. You know, in those days, I would just go fast. You know, I just go to the mountain, dig a hole, 
go in there and I said, Lord, until you answer me, I'm not coming out. <laughs> That's why I did 40 days, four times. Because God will not answer me. And so it's one of those times that I was in the hole crying out to God. I said, Lord, why do I live a life of constant competition and comparison? Who cares what others are doing? That's not my cross. Listen to what Jesus said to Peter. You know, Peter, after all that he went through with Jesus, when Jesus says, when you get older, someone will actually lead you to your death. He looked around and looked at John. What about John, Lord? And Jesus said, what's up to you? Why you bring John in? Well, because Peter was always competing with John. John was born in, with silver spoon in his mouth and politically powerful people. And he could walk through the, the high priest's courtyard without any check because it's a very re renowned family. Whereas Peter is just a fisherman, and, and there's a sociological difference, and I mean, economic difference, and he was like, but he felt like, but I am the right hand of Jesus. Till the end, he said, what about John? I'm competing, I'm comparing, Lord. How come, how, that's my, if that's my cross, what about John's cross, Lord? And Jesus said, what's that up to you? Why don't you take your cross? I, I pray that today, You'll be set free. Amen. No competing, no comparison. My goodness. Right? Just be happy. You know, because the cross that you're going to bear is a full-time job. <laughs> you cannot carry cross and something else at the same time. You don't have time to seek the iPhone when you have the cross. It's so heavy. It's heavy stuff. So I said, Lord, how come I have to do this, Lord? How come, I'm, how come I'm doing ministry with second gen? How come I'm doing this? Lord, they're just young punks. I, I don't, can, you know, and then I get invited to 2,000-member church. That, and I said, oh, okay, that will solve all my financial problems. Lord says, no. You're not going to be a senior pastor for 2,000-member church. But, Lord, sounds so spiritual. <laughs> Feels so Right. No, you're going to go to South Central, plant a church for gangbangers. And I said, wow, that's just, just messed up. <laughs> but I obey because I call Jesus my Lord. Lord decides. Decision has been made. You only have two options, to obey or disobey. But obeying God, you know, you pay the price. And so I, I was up in the mountain. I said, I said, oh, Lord. Yeah, let's just sing that one for you. This is a Christian song. You can say amen to this one. Words only words I heard 
where to, what now? And I don't see any road at all. And I don't feel you anymore. And I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I, I surrender all. I think it's being in the place of surrender. You ask God, God, sometimes, you know, you don't even feel like if you're doing the right thing. Because everything seems so okay, you know. It's like you could do a lot of stuff on your own. A lot of times, as Pastor Ross was saying, that we cry out to God, God, I need help, I need help, I need help. And then when God settles that and you just move on, live your own life the way you want it, the way you fashioned it, and you become the master of your life. And then you wonder, how come I'm going through this suffering? You know what? The road itself is suffering. The cross we bear, we walk on the road. Jesus Christ called suffering. He took the cross. Behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. You know how heavy that was? To carry the sin of the world. Because every day we need to find ourselves as a sinner who needs to repent. Without come to that place, no repentance needed, then you're going to be on your own. That you feel responsible because you think that you are the master. You get to decide. You make this decision. So now you're responsible. No, the servant just obeyed. You're not responsible for the end result. Why? Because you are obeying God. God said, now go today, dig the well. You dig it, there's no water. Next day, dig the well. You go two meters. Two meter. Next day, go three meters. But Lord, there's no water. I'm telling you, dig the well. And some missionaries that I know, they spent 30 years in a Muslim country, never saw one person come to know Christ. But they are faithful. Serving, crying out to God. I uh, was hosting this lady. She's a single lady. She lived 15 years ago. Lord called her. And so she went to this little village in Cambodia. Oh, my goodness. No electricity, no running water. I mean, this single woman. At, I think, around her 40s went and started serving the children and gathering them and teaching them and it became a school and 15 years wow and of course with 
great victories, there is a lot of collateral damage and they're emotionally broken and depression sets in. And, and she would call my wife time to time and said, Pastor Jenny, can I just, just spend some time with you? And Jenny very graciously, oh, we have a guest room in our center, so why don't you come? She would take two and a half hour bus ride from the village to come to our center and from the bus depot and she would take a little taxi and come all broken and depressed. And she would just, we'll feed her and I'll make her nice hand drip coffee and we just sit there and listen. And she cried. She tell the story with joy of taking care of these children and pastors. You know, this little girl that I raised, now she's working at this company. Well, she's a deacon at a church, some as a pastor, but at the same time, so many of them abandoned Christ. They no longer walk with Jesus anymore. And the pain, and I, she's a single lady, but what have I done with my life? I accomplished nothing. What are you talking about? Nothing. No, I can never do what you do. That's not my cross, right? My cross is not going to village, no electricity, no road. Are you kidding me? I need to have my cappuccino in the morning. <laughs> right? I make it very clear to God, God, I need my cappuccino in the morning. <laughs> I'll suffer for you, but come on. <laughs> we all have different cross. Right? She doesn't compete with me, compare with me. I don't compete or compare, but I grieve for her. I cry with her. We hold her hands and pray. And we say, come on, until you, God called you out, let's go. And she go home cheerful Sunday night, you know, say goodbye. And we see her, God, so thankful we get to meet these true disciples who know how to take up the cross daily and pursue God with passion, knowing that that's the cross that only she can carry in a village with no name, with children, had no chance to hear the gospel. And I, I, I said, God, how do I share my story to my Catalyst family? Because I, I just love this church and I love Pastor Barry and his faithfulness and his humility. And you know, how do we become like Christ? BLC? I love that. How do you become like Christ? You know, years ago, they came out with WWJD. What would Jesus do? And I said, no, 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 we're getting it all wrong. The moment you ask WWJD, you become disciple of Descartes more than Jesus. And this is what I mean. See, we turn everything into cognitive exercise. Following Jesus is not cognitive exercise, folks. I don't care what Jesus would have thought. <laughs> Right. So what would Jesus do? Why would you even ask the question? It's always DWJD. Every Monday is DWJD, date with Jenny Day. No, it's do what Jesus did. Both same. Do what Jesus did. Just obey and follow Jesus. What? Jesus took up the cross? Take that cross, dude. What would Jesus do? Oh, shut up. Just take up your cross daily and pursue God passionately, daily. 
You cannot enter kingdom of God being the part of the multitude following Jesus because it benefits you, because it prospers you. It, it kills me when I teach a Bible college in Cambodia that well-meaning Bible college student because all these garbage books have been translated into Khmer and you know all this prosperity gospel came and, and they said, oh, I want to I I live in $13 million homes like that pastor in Texas, sir. I want to drive a million-dollar Ferrari. What's wrong with that? Why don't you teach that kind of Christianity to us? We're poor. We want to live rich and famous. He says, follow Jesus, not follow fame, money, security, comfort. Following Jesus is never a comfortable life. Following Jesus means you got to let go. You cannot take up that cross until you let go of your own agenda. Your own response, all that, whatever you own, first let go. And you got to pick up that cross. Not weekly, not monthly, not yearly, daily. And say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to be with you. I want to be like you. So I'm going to do whatever you did. You know, it's like, how can you be a swimmer without swimming? How can you be a hiker without climbing the mountain? How can you be a Christian without doing what Jesus has done? It's oxymoron. To think that we, because we think we know so much that we are doing it. No. No, no. Knowing is the first step toward doing. Amen? So follow Christ. But what? Take up your cross. Separate yourself from the multitude and walk that journey. It is a coincidental that you actually met a fellow sojourner walking the same path with their cross. You know, once you identify that, there's that kind of, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. When you see something authentic, genuine, there's like, I know who you are. I know who you are. We're at Siem Reap or Kampong, uh, the Angkor Wat, you know, the Angkor Wat tourist, largest temple in the world. And Jenny and I were doing some ministry there, training the pastors. And we went to this Chinese restaurant eating a nice meal. And there was this Chinese couple with the little kids, so cute. And, of course, they don't speak English. But, and yeah, I love kids. You know, it's like, I, I'm so ready to be grandpa, you know. My children are so useless right now. So every time I see a little girl, I just go gaga over. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's like. And so the couple say, who are you? Why are you touching my kid? You know, it's like, <laughs> well, I'm sorry. You know, it's like, I'm sorry. I'll go prison in America, but this is Cambodia. So <laughs> and we befriended because they saw us praying. And they said, sir, you're Christian. I said, oh, we're pastor, we're missionary. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing that to another, we exchange email. And, she's, and he says, when you're in China, in that particular city, call us up. So I happened to be in China. <laughs> so I looked them up. I said, hey, I'm here. You know, Wow, crazy thing. He came and picked me up from my hotel. And the, the lady that we met a year ago, she was having an infant. I'm like, oh, what's this? I picked her up from the hospital. She's just a second baby. What? <laughs> Why are you here? I said, oh, well, you called. My goodness, and he takes me to his apartment, and then he, he's like real Chinese man, right? Like, wow, you know, let me go cook for you. And then, he, you know, 
she made a nice meal, and oh, wow. And he said, would you mind coming to our underground church tomorrow? I said, wow, okay, but please, don't say anything. We get into trouble if we have a foreigners. I mean, they sort of know, but they have double curtain and all that kind of stuff. So just be quiet. Get into the corners. Don't say anything. We'll have our own worship. And then afterwards, we'll take you out to the city and then at a dim sum, you can talk. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I go there, just quiet. Um, they have their own thing, worship in Chinese. And fire, man, fire. Oh, my gosh. Knowing that if they are caught, they all go to prison. I mean, that's a fire, a furnace. I'm so glad they did not ask me to preach because I got nothing to give to these people. I got to learn. I sit and humbly learn what it means to follow Jesus at the, the cost of something. You know, I mean, sometimes I just feel like comfort has become our idol. Wow. In America, when it rains, attendance of church increase because people cannot go golf. <laughs> when I read the statistic, I'm like, man, crazy. But these guys were so on fire. I mean, I don't understand what they're saying, but I know they met Jesus that I met. I know they are worshiping Jesus whom I met in 1979, August 3rd, 9.30 p.m. There's a genuine fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Wow. You know, we go for a nice dinner, and then they, we openly talk. It's in English. <laughs> and share about the persecution they had and some of the suffering they had. We know when we see authentic, the real stuff. I remember going to Shanghai, it's a different occasion, different church, and, you know, as a foreigner, you could have your church for foreigners, so I actually visit every time I go to Cambodia. We used to, I used to go L.A. to Incheon, to Incheon, to Cambodia, but it's usually $1,400, $1,500, it's quite expensive. And then the Eastern China airline just opened up a new route, and then I could go from L.A. to Shanghai, Shanghai to Phnom Penh was $740. Wow, right? We need to save, right? Because Jesus saves, right? So, <laughs> so, I, said, so I said, okay, I, I got to go Eastern Airline. And, and so what happens is that I arrive at 6 a.m. in Shanghai, and they pick me up from the airport, and we go about an hour and a half to this Korean church, and I preach there two or three times, and, the, and they drop me off at 3 p.m. flight to Cambodia. So it kind of worked out, and I'll go Shanghai all the time. And, and this time I was doing some kind of, 15 churches in Shanghai got together, and, and I was a guest speaker. So I go there, and this, you know, young pastor, he's passionate. He's like, Pastor O, I'm going to take you to the best Shanghai food. I'm like, okay, surprise me. <laughs> so he goes to this. Have you ever tried soup dumpling? Oh, my goodness. There are two kinds of people in the world. <laughs> One who tasted soup dumpling and who haven't, okay? Especially soup dumpling in Shanghai, because it was invented in Shanghai 150 years ago. Yeah. But it's just that Ding Taifeng made it popular, right? <laughs> yeah. So the guy was serving me the soup dumpling at Shanghai. I said, this is it, this, we invented this. And this Ding Taifeng guy stole it, this Taiwanese guy stole it. And so I'm eating this, I'm like so amazed. I'm like, but brother, then why did you take me to 
Didn't I found you? <laughs> Restaurant in Shanghai. Well, because they make it the best. That's my point. Point is, the world don't care what you call yourself. You could say that I'm from the authorized denomination. I'm Christian from third generation. You know what my father did? You know who my family is? You know what kind of Christian I am? I went to this college. I went to this Christian school. And I did this 20 years of deaconship. They don't give a hoop. They said, is it real? Are you authentic? Last weekend, we're in New York. Well, tomorrow I'm going to Korea, but last weekend we're in New York. And we celebrate 39th anniversary, my favorite wife. And I said, Jenny, where do you want to go? I said, well, let's have some soup dumpling there. Beautiful. And so we're eating there. Oh, my gosh. So good. So we ordered like five dishes as appetizer. <laughs> and then soup dumpling came. And you, you crack that. And then the soup comes out. And, you, and then you know immediately if this real deal or not, right? If this is fake soup dumpling, ooh, right? But Jenny and I go, mmm, this is it. Real deal. I pray the people that you meet in your life will taste your life and say, wow, I want what he or she got. I don't care what you call it, but it's authentic. It's real. The Jesus, he and she talks about seems to be real. And they really live out what they believe. Not just talk about it. How do you become a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Do what Jesus did. Take up your cross daily. Put down all your junk and gunk and all your complaining about, like, why can I not sing? And how come on and on? No, just let go cross you bear, do it with faith, knowing that God will fulfill that in your life. Do not compete, do not compare. That's your cross. And say, God, <laughs> I have decided to follow you, Lord. Make sure when you sing that song, you have your cross. <laughs> Don't be like taking a walk. <laughs> I have decided to follow Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Make me happy. Make me prosperous. Give me more money than my third generation. You know, no, it's like <laughs> I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for today. We admit, Lord, our weakness. We sometimes are so, we want comfort more than anything else. We want security more than anything else. We want fame. We want to be recognized. We want people to know what we do. And we want people to respect what, who we are. And, but Lord, the same question, Lord, you asked your disciple. Who do you say that I am? Jesus, you are the son of living God. Messiah, you're my Lord, God. Really? Then are you part of that multitude that just follow because I do stuff for them? 
Or are you willing to take up your cross, no matter what it is? Not competing, not comparing, but no matter what it is, are you ready? Yes, Lord. Me and my household make a commitment to follow you, Jesus, because you're not just biblical character. You are God. You are Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, come convict our hearts. The little boy with complaining heart, God, called you unfair. But Lord, if you are truly fair with humanity, we should all die and go to hell. But because you're so grossly unfair, Lord, that you grace us with salvation. And you took away the sin of the world as a lamb who was on the cross. God, I pray that this gospel will penetrate deeply to our heart. That we will not live a shallow consumer kind of a life that using everybody, using even God to just make myself happy and comfortable and, and live a life thinking that I'm amount to something when, Lord, we're just taking a walk. Because we have no eternal consequence in things that we have done daily, Lord. God, if repentance is due, let repentance come. If commitment is due, Lord, let it be recommitted to you. Lord, we want to be true disciple of Jesus Christ, making difference in the world, the world that you die for. What is that, Lord? You require us. Help us, O oh God. Help us. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give God a big hand, shall we? Thank you so much for joining us for our online service. Hope you will join us in person sometime. It would be great to see you and meet you. Don't forget to subscribe to our Catalyst YouTube channel so you don't miss out on anything. And be blessed this week. And as always, thank you, Jesus.